Well, it's an honor to be back. Thanks for having me. I told you last time I was here, you're stuck with me. You hired my best friend as your pastor, and I, I, I'm so honored to come here and be with you, but I'm also, I, I look for any excuse to be with Paul, and uh, I just love that guy. How many people have enjoyed Paul so far, and incredible teacher, and incredible person, and Alan's here, and Gail, and I love them, and love being around them, and honor them, and bless them. Um, just excited, I'm excited. I. You know, the first night I was here, um, they had some guest worship leaders that were here and um, the anointing was so strong and I looked around and all the youth, most every one of the youth were, were in the front and they were real, like really worshiping, like from the heart. You know, and it was just blessed me to see the fire and the hunger on the young people and to know, man, we're getting ready to go to the streets and we're gonna preach the gospel at you know, 13, 14 years old and probably even younger. Like, and, and I'm just, I'm excited to be here, excited to be back. And, and uh, how many people were here last time I spoke? I, I uh, spoke on being set free of the fear of man, if you guys can remember that, how God spoke to me to stand up on an airplane and read out loud Matthew 5 on the airplane. <laughs> John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. And Ruth Martini would say, slow obedience is disobedience. And, and so you just quickly obey. And I began to read it on the airplane and it came out, neither do they light a lamp and place it under a basket of fear. It doesn't say fear. It just says under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand that it would give light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your good work shine before men that they would glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it says. But it came out fear. And immediately God spoke to me. The main basket that the church puts their light under is a basket of fear. And it's the fear of man rather than the fear of God. In the absence of the fear of God, we have the fear of man. But we talked about how you've not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've been given the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. And in another place, it says, you've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Both places, it describes fear as a spirit. That means it's not in you, it's you are not afraid. When people say, I'm afraid, no, you're not. That's an identity statement. You are a child of God. You feel fear, there's a difference. Fear is not in you, perfect love is in you. You're one with Christ, and perfect love casts out all fear. Fear's not your portion as a believer of Jesus Christ. No, you're a child of God, and you fear nothing, not even death, because death has been defeated on the cross when Jesus resurrected from the dead. And this is how we overcome, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and because we love not our life to the death. If we don't love our, even our own life unto the death, why do we care about what people think? If we care about what people think more than God, then we're not dead enough. Come on. When you get baptized, you drown in the baptism tank. Literally, you die. You're buried with Christ in the baptism tank. The old man dies. And you resurrect a new creation. And now your life is hidden in Christ. And the life that you live, you no longer live for yourself. But you live for him who died in your place. Because he died for all because we've all sinned. And if he died for all, that means we all died. Come on. And the life that we live, we now live for Christ and for his glory. Amen. Amen. 
I'm just kind of doing a review because we're gonna hit it again. How many people got touched by the Holy Spirit last time and made a commitment in your heart? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go after preaching the gospel. I'm gonna be more bold. How many people in your heart, last time I was here, you did that? Raise your hand. Hi, hi, hi. Only a few of you? Man, that was a bad speaking right there. <laughs> Nobody else, really? Come on. I'm, I'm, ex- I, I'm excited because I wanna see not only that commitment, but I wanna build on it. I wanna help equip and train and this morning as I was praying for you guys, I felt like the Lord wanted to revive first love fire. Like there's like this zeal, this first love zeal, this, um, this zeal that consumes uh, new believers sometimes and almost every time, somebody who is transferred out of darkness into light. Like immediately they're like, they're, the light bulb goes off, God is real and he loves me. And he's all around. Anybody had that experience before? Like you, you, you might have not grown up in church and it, or maybe you got born again for real one time and you're like looking around and you're like, oh my gosh, the butterflies, they're so beautiful. Did you see the sunrise today? Oh my God created the stars. And you're like, everything is in wonder. And like, you're like, guys, did you know Jesus loves you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not religious. Oh, no, for real, he's real. I'm not saying, you know, you know what I'm talking about? New believers, like, and they're, they're on fire, like they're on fire because they've come into this revelation of the love of God. I remember that was the case for me. You know, I, I had 18 felonies by the time I was 16 years old. Um, you know, I grew up around the church. I grew up in Virginia where you could throw a rock and hit three churches by accident, churches everywhere, you know? And, um, and I remember, you know, going to church at Christmas and Easter and some, you know, odd services every now and then. My parents were divorced and, you know, I went into a Christmas service, heard the simple gospel preached. And that's why I did that this morning is because I believe we should preach the gospel every Sunday and give an invitation. And the reason I believe that is even if everyone's already saved, which I hope that it's not the case. I hope, you know, the Holy Spirit's drawing people into our congregations that haven't heard the gospel. And I hope you're bringing people that you've been sowing into and because they love you, they come because you invite them, you know? So I hope there's new believers coming every week into the church. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can they hear unless somebody preaches, right? So we wanna have an atmosphere where the congregation knows every Sunday, if I bring my friend, they're gonna hear the gospel. Number one, that's the one reason I like doing that. And two, I think it's important for the everyday believer to hear the gospel every day. Whether you hear it from the pulpit or whether you hear it because you intentionally listen to Billy Graham on YouTube or whether you, like, like maybe your style is, is uh, Reinhard Bonnke or somebody else, Daniel Kalenda, but like that we would make it a practice that we would be passionate about consuming and listening to the gospel because one of the main ways that human beings learn is by repetition. You do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over, or you listen to something over and over and over, and before you know it, it becomes part of you. You can, you can share the gospel. So it's important if we're gonna train a congregation and equip a congregation to fulfill what Jesus has commissioned us to do, which is the great commission, right? Go into all the world and preach, say preach. That word preach means proclaim with words. So if we're gonna obey Jesus as a believer, then, then we want to, by repetition, train the everyday believer to, to be able to be a witness and to present the simple gospel because it doesn't take an evangelist to present the simple gospel, it just takes a believer. The Bible says, I believed in my heart, therefore I speak. Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth 
speaks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Therefore, evangelism isn't just something I do, it's who we are. Amen? Come on. And so I, I'm excited because I, I feel like there's an invitation in the body of Christ corporately. Everywhere I go, I talk about this because we, I go to a lot of revival churches. I believe this is a revival church. I believe this is a church that's pressing in for revival. And what do we mean by that? We mean the expansion of God's kingdom through his manifested presence. That the manifested presence of God, which is what we've been talking about, right? For a while, this whole year, I think Paul said, it's the presence of God. But the inc- to the increase of his kingdom through the manifest presence of God, which is Christ in you, Christ manifesting through you everywhere that you go. This, this is what this church is about, is about revival, right? It's about seeing the kingdom come and increase and all the evidence that comes along with that, healing and deliverance and encouragement and prophecy, the gifts of the spirit flowing, the dynamic life of the Holy Spirit is present. And when people come into this place, we're not just talking about God, we're experiencing God together, right? Come on. But I go to a lot of churches that are like that and they're pressing in for revival. Some of them are praying and fasting for revival and they're, and they're doing conferences and they're going to the conferences for revival. And I heard the Lord speak to me one time and he said, the only reason that the churches don't have the revival is because Christians don't preach the gospel. See, because if just 10 people in this congregation were to begin to preach the gospel to one person a day for 90 days, then 900 people would hear the gospel every 90 days. And if 10% were to get saved, then 90 people would be saved every 90 days. And if only 5% became disciples, meaning uh, the other 5% chose other churches or weren't from around here, but only 5% of those people were to become disciples and start coming to New Life City, and they didn't bring any of their friends and family, but how many people know that when new believers get saved, they bring all their friends and family? But let's just assume they don't bring any friends or family, then this church grows by 45 new believers every 90 days. That's only if 10 people in here would actually be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Come on. And that's only if you just restrained yourself and you're just like, I'm only allowed to preach to one person a day. Come on. And, and I'm, I'm thinking if we're moving in miracles and signs and wonders, right? Because we believe in Jesus. And the Bible says in Mark 16, if these signs shall follow those who believe, they'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll pray with other tongues. All these signs and we're doing miracles and we're doing this stuff. I think we should probably hit a higher percentage than 10%. But I'm just trying to make a point. I believe that if, if we'll make a commitment that in our weakness from this day forward, this is my goal, that every person that's a believer in this place this morning will make a commitment from this day forward, I will begin to testify and be a witness of what I've seen and what I've heard concerning Jesus Christ. I'm gonna testify. I'm gonna tell people about what the most important thing about me is, and that's my relationship with Jesus. And that's not a hard thing. To know me is to know Jesus because he's everything to me. Because I love him with my whole heart, amen? I feel like God wants to stir in us a fresh zeal for God. The Lord is speaking to me this morning and he said, people are tired. There's a lot of people that are tired. They're weary, they're tired. And he said, read John 4 this morning. So go in your Bible with me to John 4. By the way, can somebody please tell me what time we're supposed to end? (laughs) Okay, okay. You you said it. 
Verse five, John four, verse five. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied, say wearied, from his journey. See, this is Jesus and his humanity. He's weary, he's tired. From his journey, set thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, give me this water. He said, go call your husband to come here. The woman said, I don't have any husband. He said, you say, right, you, you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband. In that you said, right. He said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's perceptive, right? I think you're a prophet. She changes. So then she changes the subject or does she? You Jews say to worship on this mountain, but our fathers say to worship here, where should we worship? Jesus said to her, woman, believe the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. I think there's a lot of people who worship a God they don't know. You worship what you don't know. But we Jews, we worship who we know. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. What is the Father seeking? He's seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, meaning we see him and we respond how we were created. You are a divine design. Psalm 139 says, God knit you on your mother's womb, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that his thoughts for you are more than the sand on the seashore. In other words, he's crazy about you. He can't quit thinking about you. And, and you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God to receive the love of God and to then give it away as a lifestyle of worship. Come on, you were created to worship in spirit and in truth. It's who you are. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Isn't it great? Jesus revealed himself to a woman, one of the first people, if not the first, that he said, I am he. And guess what she does? She then turns around and goes and leads an entire city to Jesus with her testimony. Come meet a man who knows all about me and was gonna give me water anyway. Told me all about my life and was gonna give me water anyway. Knows all about my five husband and was gonna give me water anyway. Could this be the Christ? She comes and testifies to what she's seen and heard and an entire city came to Jesus because of her testimony. She's the first evangelist that led an entire city to Jesus, a woman. 
Selah. <laughs> Here's what I wanna get to just for the sake of time. The disciples come back from going to get the food and um, his disciples begin to urge him in verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. After they got over the wonder of why is he talking to a woman? You know, hey, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. How many people know the verse where Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can, de can destroy, can consume, can, 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 can steal, right? But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You wanna know how to do that? Jesus just showed us how to do that. He tells us explicitly that you lay up for treasures in heaven. You're, you're literally doing that when you, when you engage the harvest. Who wants to be rich in heaven? Who wants to have heavenly riches? He who wins souls is wise. Who wants to be wise? Come on. You get to do this, not, not because you're some uh, especially gifted evangelist. No, there's no such thing as a gift of evangelism. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You can't find the gift of evangelism anywhere in the Bible. It's not in it. You can find the office of an evangelist that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teaching, next verse, for the equipping of the, to do the work of ministry. It's a Bible church. You know, Alan was your pastor and Paul, you know, like that, like that. Not everywhere I go, people quote it. It's awesome, love that, felt good. Focus, focus, okay. I have a feeling many people are, are weary and tired because they're not eating. I have a feeling that there are many people apathetic and in sin cycles feeling bad about themselves, repenting, and then going back, feeling bad about themselves, repenting, and like a dog returning to its vomit, returning again and again, and, and it's, just, it's just cycle. And because of the grace of God, they continue to come, but they're tired and they're weary and their heart's condemning them, and they're apathetic like David on the rooftop when kings should be at battle. He's called to be on the front line, and instead, he's on the rooftop, and he's looking over at Bathsheba, and he's distracted, why? Because he's supposed to be on the front lines. I have a feeling there are a lot of people apathetic, weak, and tired. And, and for some people, the answer is to go to the front line. Not from a striving point of view. Not from a place of like, I'm, I'm, I'm striving to get something from God, but from a place of, of, of rest from a place of identity, from a place of, you know, when all else is, is, is what, like if, if everything else was to be stripped away from me, 
if everything else, if my position, if, if favor was to end, if, if all of a sudden I didn't have a platform to preach from, this is how I, how I deal with these kind of things. God opens doors that no one can shut, shuts doors that no one can open. I've had a lot of confusing doors open and shut throughout time. And I, and I go through it by a few things. He opens doors no one can shut, shut doors are clear signs that they're not God. And then the other thing I do is I say, if everything was stripped away, all of everything, and I, all I could do is maybe paint or whatever, which is my trade, then guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wake up every day and I'm gonna be okay because number one, I'm a child of God. John 1 says, as many as received him, he's given the right to become a child of God. I'm a child of God and I wake up every day with an A+. Before I ever do anything else, I wake up every day with an A+. I am your beloved son. So every day I wake up, I receive the love of God because his blood has empowered me to come to his throne of grace every day. And so I drink of that well, I drink from that stream of living water and first receive that love. And then from that place, I'm gonna obey God and I'm gonna be a witness and I'm gonna bear fruit because as I testify to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to what he's done in my life, I will see fruit in my life because he manifests his presence when we obey his commandments. That's his promise. John 14, if you obey my commandments, then I will manifest myself to you. How many people wanna experience the manifested presence of Jesus? <laughs> Happens as we obey his commandments and one of his commandments is to preach the gospel. So it literally, it's energizing. I tell you a story. One time I was in Australia. I had flown, I think that the flight 17 hours, if I can remember right, in the air, 17 hours in an airplane. Some of you can't even fly two, out, two hours and you're already tired of it, you know? 17 hours to fly to Australia and it was on the backside of like multiple trips. I was in Brazil and somewhere else and my, my body's on all these different European timelines, Brazilian timelines, and now I'm going to an Australian timeline. My body doesn't even know what's going on. I'm not sleeping a lot. And uh, I just done like six sessions at a youth conference and, and in between the sessions, they're asking me to speak to the leaders and have leaders meetings and then they wanna go out to lunch and they wanna see the stuff out at lunch and so they're like, he's gonna lead some people to Jesus at lunch and I'm exhausted, I'm an introvert by the way in the way that I recharge and I'm not getting any of that time and, and so we're seeing people get saved and people get touched by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God but I'm wearied like, like Jesus, I'm wearied, I'm tired. And so I'm like, you know, I don't have a performance thing on me, but I, I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna go on the outreach. Yeah, the evangelist's not gonna go on the outreach. I'm actually gonna go to the green room. Yeah, like that evangelist. And I'm gonna slay down. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat some snacks and I'm gonna lay down and take a nap. This time I'm gonna be like Jesus and he was sleeping in the boat. And Jesus took naps, I'm gonna take a nap. You know, I'm... I'm, a, I'm from the Baptist background. I gotta justify everything I do by the word, you know? Jesus took a nap. <laughs> I'm gonna take a nap. So, I, you know, I'm kind of feeling bad about it, but I'm not really feeling bad because I'm excited to give me a little nap in and I gotta preach that night. And so anyway, I go in there and, and uh, there's some other people in there and they're like, hey, check this out. What do you think of this? And they had had this app that the, that the youth were using at the time and what they did is they put uh, like 10 or 15 intercessor youths and they would rotate on the evangelists. Sometimes they'd be intercessors, sometimes they'd go out into the streets, into the malls and different things. But the intercessors would sit in a room and they would pray and ask God for clues, like doing treasure hunts team, team style. 
And these intercessors would pray and ask God, who are the evangelists gonna meet? What are some words of knowledge? Who needs healing? What do they look like? What are, is it a boy or a girl? What are they wearing? All the different clues. And as they would get these clues, you're gonna meet somebody, her name is gonna be this, and she'll have a pink shirt on, and she'll have blonde hair, and, uh, and they would write it in the app. And then the youth, when they're out doing evangelism at the mall, they'd go into the app. Don't you love technology when it's used the right way? And they would look and they were partnering. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. I've never seen this before. And I know that there's an aspect of boldness that needs to be seen, you know, and, and caught. And I'm like, man, I don't want any of these youth to be discouraged that they didn't hear God because they're hearing God. I know they're hearing God. But sometimes the harvesters might fall short because they're overcoming their own fear you know, and they might not step out and be bold. So I said, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm exhausted, but I, I, I can't help. I gotta, go, I gotta go encourage these intercessors. Literally, that was my motivation, but I was exhausted. I didn't have anything in me to do it, tired. I went to the mall that day and I do, if I go to a mall, because I've been kicked out of malls for reasons, and I might tell you a story about that. Now I have a, a core value. If I go to a mall or a store, I always buy stuff. Here's the key, here's the key. If you're gonna do evangelism at a mall, go buy stuff first. And when you got a bag of stuff, they're not gonna kick you out because you're spending money there, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the Christians that go to the mall that don't buy anything and they just walk around with their special T-shirt on and it's like, hey, I'm here to do evangelism. Those are the ones who get kicked out, yeah. But if you buy stuff, so I, I go to the store to go buy a jacket and when I do, we lead the two people in the store to the Lord right away. We led three people to Christ in the first 45 minutes that I was in the mall. You know that whole thing about a cheetah drinking espresso? Did I, did I say that today or yesterday? I'm telling you, I was like a, a cheetah drink, that drunk espresso, a double espresso, triple, a quadruple espresso. After I led those three people to Jesus, I was no longer tired. I mean, I was like open air preaching. People were trying to calm me down because I had eaten food that of which a lot of people don't know nothing of. I was eating the bread. I was doing the will of him who sent me. And sometimes the energy that you need is found when you obey him and you partake of the harvest. Come on, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sometimes the, the, the energy that you need is in the secret place of hearing his voice and, and literally in the secret place of worship. And he begins to speak to you and remind you of who you are. And it strengthens you on your in, inner man. You're eating the food of his word. And sometimes the word that you need is already in the Bible. And he said, go into the world and preach the gospel. Go to the harvest and preach the gospel. And you're gonna receive nourishment there's gonna be strength. There's gonna be energy that comes to you. God wants to revive hearts this morning. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. He wants to stir in us a revival where we're zealous and we're passionate about the gospel, where we're dreaming about it again, where, where evangelism isn't something that we have to do anymore. It's something we can't help ourselves but to do. I'm sure of it. I had a, I had a story one time. I'm gonna tell you about zeal. Right after I got saved, I remember because I grew up in Virginia, we could throw a rock and hit three churches by accident, churches everywhere, but I didn't he ever hear the gospel except for one Christmas service. It was a simple gospel. I responded, I got saved, I never got discipleship. Billy Graham said 95% of evangelism is discipleship, which is why I think even if you're not a new believer, you should go to the new believers class. 
for real. You should consider it. And the reason I think you should consider it is because if we believe that our church is gonna see revival, then we're gonna need a whole lot of people equipped to do new believer classes. Not only new believer classes, but how about your dinner table? Because God spoke to me, there's no shortcut to discipleship. It happens at your dinner table. Hospitality. Matter of fact, the Bible says very clearly, especially for leaders, it says you can't even be a leader unless you're hospitable. Yeah, you can't be given over to wine. You can't be a drunkard. You can't have many wives. You have to have a good reputation. All these are qualification for elders and leaders, but right in the middle of it must be hospitable. Jesus said, I didn't have a place to stay and you let me stay. That alone should have the fear of the Lord in us. Matthew 25, that we are hospitable, that we're opening up our home. Acts chapter two said that God was adding to the church daily. Why? Because they were devoting themselves daily to the doctrine of the apostles and to the breaking of bread with one another from house to house. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both and. I think it's corporately gathering like we're doing, but also our house becomes a place of revival because people get to see our lives lift with Christ. Real people, real touching, like you're, you're touching me, I'm seeing you. We're, 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 we're doing life together. They're seeing how you discipline your kids. They're seeing how you treat your wife. They're seeing and feeling the peace of the atmosphere, how you do life differently. Why? Because we're breaking bread together. We're taking communion as often as we think of it. Communion is not just something to be done on the Sunday. Communion is, or Saturday night, communion is to be done when we're breaking bread with one another from house to house. And in that, there's a discipleship that happens. But I remember going to the Baptist church after I got saved. And, you know, from the times that we would go every now and then on Christmas and Easter, I saw the same people there that were there the whole time. And there was hardly anybody new going to the church. And it was just that the people, some of their hair got whiter and grayer and more wrinkles and they just are getting older and the church was getting older, but it wasn't, there wasn't new, any new believers. And I, and I remember being grieved in my heart because I almost died at 16 years old in my sins, thrown out of the back windshield of a car. Because even though I grew up in Virginia where you could throw a rock and hit three churches by accident, I don't ever remember meeting one Christian that was burning on fire for Jesus going to school with all these Christians around me or grocery stores. I don't ever remember meeting one person who was just out loud about Jesus in radical love with Jesus that actually loved Jesus with their whole heart until I met those radically saved black dudes when I was 18 years old, blasting Kirk Franklin and wild gospel music on my way to the paint job. Talk about Jesus said this and Jesus said that. And all they talked about was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all day long. Sing about Jesus, talk about Jesus. Why? Because they were in love. And when I met those guys, something about their relationship and them preaching the gospel made me start seeking God and I found him because I met somebody that was on fire finally at 18. But at 16, I had nobody preach the gospel to me, nobody that was demonstrating a life that was in love with Jesus out loud because they can't help themselves. And so at 16, I got thrown out of the back windshield of a car and almost died 60 yards away from the car, landed on concrete helicopter to the hospital, almost died of my sins. And I remember thinking maybe a little bit self-righteously, everybody in this church is just going through the motions. Coming to church and doing the good discipline. Listen, there's something to be said about faithfulness. I don't wanna undercur, you know, you know, say anything negative about faithfulness. Faithfulness is underrated. God is faithful and he requires us to have faith. I love faithfulness, but I remember thinking as a brand new believer, everybody's just going through the motions, doing what they've always done for the last 15 years that I've been around here. 
and no one's doing anything for the lost. And I remember being stirred in my spirit and I saw up on the wall, Romans Road, because it was a Baptist church. And I memorized that Romans Road and I thought, where is the most people in all of Newport News, Virginia on a Tuesday night? And I thought, Super Walmart. <laughs> you ever wanna practice evangelism, I'm telling you, Walmart and Target, those are the, those are the places to go. So I went to Super Walmart and I remember I was walking around getting my courage up, you know, like, cause I'm zealous for God. I'm burning for God. You know, I've, I'm, I've got to, I, my life's been saved. I got to tell somebody about Jesus. I remember I was walking around getting my courage up and finally I stood up on top of a bench in front of all the turnstile people, everybody checking out. And I said, hey, everybody, give, my, give me your attention. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the wages of sin is death. And I began to preach that Romans road at the top of my lungs. And you know, I had 18 felonies before I was 16. That means I was in and out of juvenile detention. I had an ankle bracelet on, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the lady manager comes out. And she says, sir, 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 we're so glad for your religious conviction, but you can't do that, you know. And, and I, I, I did not have a core value for honor at the time. So I totally ignored her. And she's like, we're gonna call 911 and I'm just ripping the gospel and I'm preaching. And I said, you know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can be saved. And she's dialing 911. And I'm like, immediately I know this is not good for somebody who has my history. So I'm like, and if you wanna get saved, meet me fast at the door, fast. <laughs> and I go to the door and three people did come to me. We prayed the quickest salvation prayer and I was out of there before the cops came. <laughs> I remember I, I, I drove home as fast as I could and went into my little apartment, shut the door in the apartment. My heart's still racing because I'm doing this whole thing in fear and in zeal. And, and I remember I'm like, I just started weeping bitterly. I mean, like weeping, snot and tears and everything. And I said, God, God, I know I'm, I know I'm, not, I'm not so prideful to think I can't end up like these people. Just going through the motions. Nobody starts out their life cold. I know I just met you and I'm, and I'm on fire right now. I'm not so prideful as to think I can't end up cold. But God, I don't even wanna be a Christian if I'm not gonna burn for you my whole life. I'd rather you take me home right now. I'd rather you kill me right now while I'm, while I'm on fire. Just take me home. You know I can't stay strong with you the rest of my life. You know I'll backslide. I don't wanna backslide. I wanna burn every day of my life. If you're gonna keep me alive, keep me burning. Don't take 30 years of my life to develop me before you use me. If I've gotta be here, I want every breath that I breathe to punish the devil for all the pain I've gone through. And I'm praying that with tears and snot going down my face and I hear the Lord say, very clearly, then learn from those who've gone before you. If you honor your father and your mother, then you'll receive long life on the earth. It's the first commandment with promise. And immediately I thought of the prayer group that is happening on Wednesday nights. It was a bunch of 80 year old women and one 80 year old, 80 year old man. And I went into that prayer meeting and I sat down with Miss Ruby Gilbert, who missed, by the way, Miss Ruby Gilbert remembered me when I was a little boy. She used to come around door to door and knock on doors and invite kids to VBS, you know, and, and she followed my criminal history and my football history in the newspapers. 
And when I got saved finally and I walked through those doors, she said, I've been praying for you since you were this tall. I remember I, met, I went to Miss Ruby Gilbert and I said, hey, Miss Ruby Gilbert, you've been walking with Jesus since you were a little girl and you've loved him your whole life. Can you tell me anything that would help me love Jesus my whole life? What have you learned from Jesus? What's your favorite memory with the Lord? And I did that for each and every one of them. Went one to one to one and, and she would begin to remember her history with God. And as she would remember her history with God, it was like her eyes were brightening. And you can read through the scriptures and you would see every time there was a waning in the children of Israel when they would go away from the Lord, when they would return to be revived, they would remember the history. And when they would remember the ways of God, when they would remember the victories of God, when they would remember what God has said, their hearts would be revived. And something else was happening. I was honoring her. I didn't have the, I didn't have the language for it. But if you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. If you honor a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you receive a righteous man's reward. And here I am honoring this woman and I'm positioning myself to receive by impartation something I couldn't get on my own, but I can get if there's momentum generationally. I'm talking to you about revival this morning. The word of God, get before him and let him feast on his word spoken to you. Get out on the front lines and begin to partake of the harvest because the harvest is ripe and it's food that you know not of. It's food that's gonna nourish you and honor those who've gone before you and, and feast on their victories. And the other thing that happened, people ask me for the keys to acceleration. How have you accomplished so much in such a little bit, bit of time? I say, well, I tell them that story I just told you. I, I got on the top of the prayer list of like 20 Elderly women. Now they're in the nursing homes and nobody, a lot of people aren't visiting them. Guess what they do? They just go through their prayer list and right on the top of it is Richie Seltzer. If I can get somebody to help me minister, we're gonna start ministering now. Can I get a water real quick? Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'll read you something. I like this in the, the Psalm and the Passion Translation. Different people have different ideas and about the Passion Translation, but I just know the man. I know, I know Brian Simmons personally. And when I talk about revival and people who love God with all their heart, I know very few people in this world that love Jesus more than Brian Simmons and Candace Simmons. And I just, and their fruit in their life speaks for itself. Not too many people sell everything and go into a mission field with their little kids and their best friends have been martyred. And anyway, whatever you think about the Passion Translation, I like how, I like how this is written. You know, to prepare, we're gonna read verse three and Psalm five, verse three, the word prepare there means it, it's, from the Hebrew word, arak, I probably said that wrong, but A-R-A-K, a priestly term for lighting the altar fire, preparing a sacrifice, laying it out in order on the altar. This is what that word prepare means. 
says, listen, Yahweh, to my passionate prayer. Can you hear my groaning? Don't you hear how I'm crying out to you? My King and my God, consider my every word for I am calling out to you. At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice. As I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you, Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. This is my, this is my invitation this morning in light of the word that I've spoken. I believe that the invitation of the Holy Spirit this morning is for individuals who feel conviction, individuals who feel compelled, and individuals who feel moved by the Holy Spirit to come to the altar as you feel led and to lay out the pieces of your heart on the altar. For our God is an all-consuming fire. Love is an all-consuming fire. Everything I've been talking about, revival, zeal, first love fire, if we try to muster it up in our own strength, it won't last very long. But if we come in humility and we say, God, we can't do it on our own, but I'm coming in humility and I'm recognizing my heart's not burning. I'm not on fire like I should be. I'm not testifying out of the abundance of my heart, but, but, but I want to. God, I wanna love you with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and I wanna love my neighbor as myself. And how much more can we love our neighbor than if we share the gospel with a lost generation, our neighbors who don't know the Lord? How unloving is it of us? to withhold the, the truth because we're afraid that they don't want it or they're, 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 they'll make fun of us or that we will somehow make a fool of ourselves when we make it about us. No, God, I wanna love my neighbor as myself. I wanna love you with all of my heart. And Jesus said in Acts chapter one, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. If, if you know that the Holy Spirit is talking to you, I want you to do what this woman's doing right now. something powerful about the humility there's something powerful about movement obeying the voice of the Lord he said I'll manifest myself if you're obedient to me come Holy Spirit I bless what you're doing right now I bless what you're doing I bless what you're doing at this altar God's not a lip reader he's a heart reader is looking at your heart. Just lay out the pieces of your heart in front of him this morning. Lay out, lay them out, lay out your dreams, lay it, lay it out before him in light of the cross, in light of what Jesus has done. <laughs> when the son of man returns, will he find faith on the earth? We say, Lord, here we are, we believe. Here we are, we believe. Do what I cannot do.
Even as Jesus said, I wish you were either cold or hot, but since you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. And, and he's the most merciful God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an invitation to come into a greater knowledge of the wonder of God this morning for every person in here, that we would be of one heart and one mind, that each and every one of us would say, God, I wanna be in wonder. I wanna be in wonder. Come, manifest your wonderful presence this morning. Even more, Lord. Let there be a deliverance from the fear of man. Let there be a deliverance from the sin which so easily ensnares us, God. Let there be a reviving of hardened hearts through the deceitfulness of sin, God. Let there be a manifestation of your spirit of holiness, God. Manifest your glory of, and all over us and in this room, Lord. That's our prayer. Holy Spirit, come. More, Holy Spirit, manifest your presence as we've been reading scriptures about your presence and talking about your presence, God. Manifest your presence, God. In your presence is fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let us rejoice this morning as we experience your manifested presence, God. Let Bless the hot tears that are falling down the eyes of so many people at the altar right now, God. Bless them, Lord. Fill us, God, with fresh fire, God. Fill Fill us, God. Fill us, God. Move in us, Lord, in a new way, a refreshing way, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Do you know I stand, I stand in awe of you? Do you know? I stand, I stand in awe of you. Do you know that? Something similar. Can you sing something like that? Yeah, can we do that? We're gonna sing something real quick and I want you just to press in. Don't, don't be in a rush. There's something to be said about tarrying with the Lord. You know, I read about revival history and one of the reasons I always call people into repentance is every revival history story started off with this, this passion, this zeal, and, and people repenting, sometimes out loud of their sins because the spirit of holiness comes in the room and suddenly we're so aware of how good he is and how amazing he is and how much we need a cleansing, how much we need the, the, the fire of God and people start crying out and repenting and, and, the, and the goodness of God, the grace of God as we stand in awe begins to crash upon our hearts as we humble ourselves. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But I noticed something as I study revival history, the people weren't in a rush. They would tarry before the Lord. They weren't just coming to the altar to meet with man. They're coming to the altar to meet with the living God. The God who resurrected Jesus from the dead. God, Jesus, he's alive right now. He wants to touch you. Not height, not emotionalism. The spirit of God, the, the, the power of God touching every person. So let's just press in con congregationally. Let's press in for a fresh outpouring.
Okay. 